I want to thank you. I want to thank our church family. I want to thank our board of stewards, uh, Pastor Aaron, all of our ministry leaders uh, for the gift of being able to be gone. If you didn't know, some of you are like, you were gone? I didn't even know. <laughs> I only come once a month, and it seemed like you were here the last time I came. So, um, so uh, we have now, Carrie and I have now been here 16 years. We, we moved here from Pittsburgh 16 years ago to start Journey, and, but it was 15 years ago in March that we had uh, an anniversary of our grand opening. And so our board of stewards was so gracious to say, hey, we want to give you a couple extra weeks off. And we took most of the month of July off, had a great time, great time with family. My kids are now at that age where we're going to blink and they're going to be, you know, out of the house, 17 years old, 15 years old, 13 years old. And so just a great time with our kids. Um, and we got to go to Michigan for a few days. And I, I, some of you are like, you don't look any darker. Like, do, do you just, I, I like to read on my vacations and I like to read in the shade because why would you be out in the sun uh, getting skin cancer? Some of you. Um, and so I did a lot of reading, just fun reading, murder mysteries, but I also read slash listened to the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, I got to tell you, like, I've, I've read it before, but I think the older you get, it's, it, they're kids' books, but the older you get, the more you go, oh, wow. Like, C.S. Lewis's ability to teach us about Jesus in the midst of an exciting story is so incredible. And so I just want to put it out there. If you've never read the Chronicles of Narnia, there's seven books. If you, if you have that free library app, Libby or Overdrive, you can, you can download them for free. Hoopla, you can download them for free. They're at the most like four and a half hours, I think is the longest one. Maybe, maybe closer to five hours is the longest one. So if you're, if you're still doing a vacation before the end of August, download one of those and listen to it. It's the, whole, the whole family will enjoy it. It's great. So I don't get any kickback from that, okay? There's no, I just, you will learn about Jesus, even though Jesus' name is never mentioned in any of the books, you will learn so much about him through reading those. They're extraordinary. They're so good. So I did a lot of reading, and, uh, and then the last week of our vacation, my wife, like, uh, did this maneuver. You know, wives, you have special powers, right? You have, your persuasiveness is uncanny, and I've got a persuasive wife. And so I spent the last week actually at kids camp at Heartland, and I got to tell you, like, you're like, you, you spent your last week of vacation at kids camp. Yeah, and I loved it. I loved it. I, I wasn't a room leader, which made it so much more enjoyable. I was a photographer, which meant I got to spend the nights in a room with just my wife, which was perfect, and, uh, and some of you notice I'm wearing these beads, and I'm wearing these beads because I want you to know when you see our kids or students, because we have some uh, high school students that are part of our programming staff that also earn these, or there's adults, room leaders, Pastor Aaron I think earned some, Carrie's got hurt, you didn't wear it, oh, come on, whatever. Um, <laughs> So when you see a lot of times Logan, who they're out of town, the Robinsons are out of town, you'll see Logan wearing these all the time. These things are, no wonder he wears them. Each bead represents like a Bible fact. You have to, they ask you all these questions. Some of the different colored ones are Bible memorization, where you have to have scriptures memorized. You work for these things. And so I just wore it to, when you, this isn't a Mardi Gras thing. These are like, when you see kids or students in our church wearing these, like man, just say, hey, that is awesome. Or ask them, like, what, what do those beads mean? Like, what, what did you do to, it's so extraordinary to see these kids having the time of their life, zipline archery, the mud pit where they're playing these games out in the mud pit, but then to see the services where God's presence would just, I mean, 
whoo, God's presence would be so thick in those rooms. And, and to see kids, you know, working hard to memorize, you know, what are the history books of the Old Testament or uh, who were Jesus' three closest friends or quote, you know, whatever, um, is just so extraordinary. So, by the way, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you've got to get your kids, your grandkids to camp. So we have, we have two weeks of camp for elementary school kids. That's the, I was there for one of those weeks, elementary school kids. And then we have three weeks of camp for middle school and high school students. They're so well done. The kids will have the time of their life, and they will experience and encounter the presence of Jesus. And so here's the deal. You guys, I'm, this is a long, my sermon's going to be bits and pieces of things, so it's not going to be like a normal sermon, so I, I apologize ahead of time. Um, but... Uh, you know, as a church, when you give to Journey, you made it possible that every kid, and I think between, uh, between kids camp, middle school, high school, I think we ended up having 30-some? Th- Do you know how, what the total was? Almost 40 kids went, and we offered to every one of those, regardless of income or anything, uh, if they were going to camp, the church offered them a $75 scholarship to be able to go. And you did that through your giving. You didn't even know that. So when you give to Journey, we just, our board of stewards just, you know, said, let's just take that out of the general fund. There's some people that have been designated giving, and so, you know, that goes to that. And then there were some kids that because of income, we did even more for them, and uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to do that. And um, so I just, I can't say enough good things about it, but if you started today, I did the math, and it would be less than 50 cents a day, you, you could pay, I think, almost like the full price even. So... So it's just being strategic, you know? If you, if you just start setting aside, you know, some money every week, you know, three bucks, four bucks every week, uh, you could send your kid, you could send a grandkid to camp, and, um, and, and it's an eternal investment. It's an etern- they, will, they will remember, they'll remember their experience at camp, and they'll remember sensing the presence of Jesus. When they start watching all the YouTube videos that promote atheism and agnosticism, but I felt Jesus. I experienced Jesus. I learned about Jesus. I learned those facts about the word of God. It's so powerful. And so I uh, can't say enough good things. That's my little commercial break um, for that. So it was actually at kids camp that uh, I, pract- I do this thing where I just ask God to speak to me. And if you've, if you've never heard us talk about this, this can sound like really woo-woo. Um, you know, okay, God speaks to you. Okay, that's great to hear that you're hearing voices. Um, so here's how it works for me. I've never heard the out loud voice of God. I've never had a vision. There's people in this room that have had like visions where you'll just like in a moment, God just shows you something in clarity. I'm, I'm, I'm claiming that promise from Joel chapter two and Acts chapter two that young men will see visions and I'm claiming that I'm a young man. By the way, I, I include young women into that as well. And so if you think you're young, which you all should, just claim that. But he includes old people too. Old men will dream dreams. And I include women as well. Old women will dream dreams. And so, so I, I've never had a vision. Man, I've, it could happen right now in the middle of preaching. That would be sweet. So, but how God speaks to me is almost always it's in alignment with his word. Usually I've been reading God's word. I like to pray God's word. Because the best prayers are prayers where you just pray. I, I, put, I put what I just read in my own words, and I just begin to pray it back to God. God, your word said, and so I'm asking you, would you? And God, this is what it says about your character. And so God, I'm just, I'm just reminding you of your character. And so praying God's word is so incredible. And in the midst of it, sometimes, and then I'll just try to be quiet. And I don't do this perfectly. 
Okay, I, there's times where, you know, my mind is filled with things or whatever, but I try to, after, I try to just be quiet because prayer is, is, is talking, prayer is listening, and then prayer is acting, right? Prayer is all three of those things. And so I just try to, God, okay, just, God, I've just read your word, I've just prayed your word. Would you just help me to hear what you might want to say to me? Now, can I just tell you, I don't even know the percentage. There's a lot of times where I don't, I don't hear anything other than what I just read from Scripture, and okay, that's cool. Sometimes I get like a really firm like conviction of, ooh, that wasn't from me. It's just a thought. It's a prompting. And, and, and by the way, God wants to do this for every one of you. God wants to speak to you. It'll always be in alignment with his word, so you don't have to be scared of that. He wants to speak to you. You, want, you have something to say, or were you amening that? <laughs> That's awesome. That's the greatest blessing, right? That's the greatest gift. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So, and that's, and so you're, he's, he's reading God's word. This is Chuck. Chuck is reading God's word. He's praying God's word. He's listening. And this is how God speaks to us. And so, so that's, I'm just, so I'm doing that. And, and, I, and I, that's a practice. I don't just do that on vacation. That's a practice. And so I'm at, I'm at kids camp and and what, there's something about seeing hundreds of these kids. And you just know, I mean, you don't have to be a prophet to realize that statistically speaking, there's kids in the room who have experienced abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse. There's kids in this room who have never been hugged like appropriately by an adult. There's kids in this room who have never heard appropriate words of I love you. or I mean, just the hurt and the pain that, that just statistically you know that's going to happen, right? And so, so you just sit, and, and I'm, I'm a photographer, so I'm always like a distance, I'm, I'm, and I'm constantly watching their faces while everyone else is this way. I'm up on the corner of the stage taking pictures of faces, and I'm just, you're just praying like, God, and you're seeing hurt on some of the kids' faces. You're seeing confusion. I'm just like, God, and God brought me to, because I was just like, God, you've got to break through in these kids' lives. You've got to reveal yourself. You've got to, you know, show them your love. You've got you've to overwhelm them with your peace. I'm just, God, you've got to, God, I know you're willing. I know you're powerful. I know, God, would you do this? And God led me to a passage of Scripture that I had read, and I want us to turn here, and then we're going to go to a couple passages, maybe, depending on time, uh, in the book of Acts. But I, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, and, and I'd love for you to, to look for this in your own Bibles. Um, it says in Matthew chapter 8, and, and to give you context while you're, while you're turning this, I'll, I'll give you a few more minutes to get there. Um, if you're familiar with the Bible, and if you're not, I'm going to clue you in, so you don't have to be familiar with the Bible. There's this, probably the most famous sermon that Jesus ever gives. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. you find that in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. 
And, and, and maybe you've never read it before, but I promise you've heard different pieces of it. People love to take little pieces of his sermon, and politicians love to take pieces and take them out of context. And do not judge. Jesus says do not judge. They don't know the rest of the verses that surround that, but, you know, they love to pull things out. And, and so you've probably heard bits and pieces of this. Matthew chapter 8 is Jesus is done with this sermon, the longest sermon that is at least recorded for us. And he's, he's literally coming down the mountainside from preaching this. In my mind, he's got to be exhausted. Anytime that you just pre- and he's covered, he's covered divorce, he's covered adultery, he's covered um, uh, not feeling like you have enough, not having, you know, the poor who, who don't, you don't have clothes to wear or things to eat, he's covering anger at your enemy, he's covering, like, what do you do when you're persecuted, I mean, he's covered, like, all these topics, he's got to be exhausted, he's coming down the mountainside, in my mind, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, show me to a hotel room, give me some food, I can't wait to go to sleep, right? It's in those moments that if you're not careful, you can be irritated when people interrupt you. At least if you're Kendi Chan. <laughs> okay? So, so let's just read this. Verse 1, large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. And suddenly, verse 2, there's an interruption. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. And he says, Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Uh, we're going to pause here. We're going to pick back up in a second. But, but I think sometimes we read this stuff and we just kind of go right on to the next thing. And so I, I try to put myself in the picture. It says a man, Jesus on his way down the mountainside. He's exhausted. This man like just kind of like interrupts the whole scene and falls in front of him. And that Jesus has got to do something about it. Either he's got to walk around him with this whole group of people that are coming down the mountainside. Or he's got to address the man. The problem is the man is a what? The man is a what? A leper. Now, in our culture, we don't really know a lot about leprosy. I've read several books. Uh, there was a leper colony in Louisiana led by, I mean, they're just, just uh, and, and leprosy isn't kind of like, when I grew up hearing about leprosy, you know, I, I think I, I, my mind is, I remember in church, I thought, maybe I made all this up, is that like whole chunks of their body would like fall off and, you know, you'd be like, and, and leprosy isn't necessarily that. I, I guess maybe there could be forms of that. That's probably not what this verse is talking about. Leprosy uh, starts with not being able to feel things. Usually there's a skin irritation and, and you, you can't feel things. And so people, lepers will often go blind because they, for, they stop blinking. They stop, or there's a, you know, like if we get an eye irritation, you know, something in our eye, like we'll try to get out. They don't feel it. And so one of the, one of the things that will happen with lepers is they go blind. They, they, they will accidentally do things because they can't feel it. They'll be bleeding and not even know that they're bleeding. I mean, it's just, it's a horrible, horrible thing. And it was considered to be extremely contagious, Okay, and so what, I mean, there's different medical things on that, but it was, and so lepers would be put in their own colonies, and lepers would be, I mean, imagine, so I put myself in the shoes of this guy, 2,000 years ago, if I was around, I probably would be a farmer, it was a very agricultural society, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking of being a farmer, and I'm thinking, you know, like, like you're out doing something, and one day you look down, and if it was us, we would look and go, oh, maybe I got sunburned, or maybe I'm allergic to something. Their first thought would be, oh, crap, I hope this isn't, I hope this isn't leprosy. Now, like, we wouldn't even, like, when was a, a couple of you guys sun, sunburned recently, and you, you didn't go, oh, I hope that's not leprosy, <laughs> Like that's not, that doesn't even enter our imagination, right? Like for them, that would be like a, like a real thing is, oh, crap. And so, 
So, it, I mean, if that happens, you like start wearing longer clothing to try to cover it up because I would know that if this is in fact leprosy, I'm not going to get a last hug with my wife. I'm not going to be able to hug my kids. I'm not going to say goodbye. They are going to immediately escort me outside the community. I'll never be able to associate with my kids again. I mean, maybe in the middle of the night, I would sneak into the community and look through the windows and look at my kids or look at my wife. Maybe I'd be out from a distance and hide and try to see them on their way to school. But as a leper, you are immediately an outcast. You cannot be around typical people. You would wear different clothes. You would have to yell unclean or you would have a bell that you would have to ring to let people know, I'm a leper, you can't be around me. Like, think about this guy's life. And he does the unthinkable. Think about his courage. There's these people who are coming down the mountainside, and Jesus, this rabbi that he's heard so much about, he's heard that he heals people, he's heard that he's like the greatest teacher that people have ever heard, he's heard rumors that maybe he's the Messiah, and Jesus is coming down this mountain, he, the faith that this guy has, and the courage to take this risk, and he runs out, even though he's a leper, dressed in the leper clothing, and I imagine people gasp, like, oh. And they know what Jesus is about to do because Jesus is a rabbi and any good rabbi is going to religiously cuss this guy out and walk as far around him as possible and encourage the crowd to do so. I mean, everybody knows that's what he's about to do, right? Listen, so, so in verse two, Lord, the man said, as he's falling right in front of Jesus on his knees, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And what is Jesus' reaction Jesus reached out and touched him. Before he heals him, before he says anything to him, the one thing that this guy has not had in who knows how long, physical contact from a typical non-leper, Jesus gives it to him. And I imagine the crowds are going, what are you doing? Like, are you an idiot? Like, I thought you, we just listened to this incredible sermon, and now you, you're the biggest fool in the world. Jesus reaches out and touches him, and then what does he say? He, he says three words that have rocked my world. What are the three words? I am willing. Like, this guy, he's mustering up all the courage to say, if you are willing, like, I've heard about your power, I've heard that you're a healer, I've heard all this Oh, if you are willing. And Jesus says, listen, dude, you don't even know the half of it. I am willing. There's some who can say that that you can translate this, I am so willing. (laughs) Like not just I am willing, like you don't even understand. I am willing. And then he says two more words, be healed. And when Jesus says be healed, it's done. You don't have to wonder. Jesus says, I am willing, be healed. And what's the rest of it? And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. And this guy's life is going to change one more time, drastically. He'll go back to the priest. He'll prove that the leprosy is gone. And he will be reunited with his family Like, can you imagine that? Jesus says, I am willing. So here's the part I'm at camp. 
taking these photos. I'm literally crying at times watching these kids. It's like, God, you've got to break through in these lives. You've got to show yourself. You've got to reveal your presence. These kids have got to have an encounter with you. And I'm just like, like I'm begging God to do something that he's like, I don't know, Ken. Don't know if I really want to do that. I'm kind of tired. You don't know how frustrating it is to be God. Maybe if you bug me a little more, maybe if you nag me, maybe I'll finally give in and do this because you love these kids so much. Like I don't, right? I mean, this is how sometimes, I mean, we would never say that out loud about God, but that's how sometimes we approach him, right? God, you've got it, you've got it, you've got it. And in a moment, I just sensed God say, it wasn't out loud, it was just, I am willing are you willing? I am willing. Are you willing? That phrase has just killed me. Because the easy answer is, yeah. Of course I'm willing. I think there's, I think there's more to that, are you willing? I think it's like, are you ready? Are you prepared? Are you, are you willing? I'm willing. Like, you don't got to talk me into changing somebody's life. You don't got to talk me into revealing myself to people who are broken and hurting. You don't, you don't got to, I'm willing. The question is, are you willing? Now, now I don't think that that, as I've prayed about that, because this is personal, this isn't, like, this isn't me saying, you guys need to be willing, <laughs> God's willing, church, you guys have got to be willing. This is, God is willing, I need to be willing. We all need to be willing, right? Like, so I've been praying, like, God, what do you mean by that? Like, what do you mean, I, am I willing? Like, I think one of the first things, if you've been around fundamental Christian, uh, you know, circles, like, and I grew up with a little bit of that. I, I love the church I grew up in and, and, and a great experiences. But there was a little bit of this, well, what that means is you've got to be perfect, Right? That God is saying, I'm willing, I'm just waiting for you knuckleheads to get your act together, for you guys to get perfect. You guys got to be perfectly holy. But you know, as I, as I look through the word of God, God isn't waiting for people to be perfect. In fact, show me someone in scripture that God uses who is perfect. It seems like God actually goes out of his way to find the biggest knucklehead in a generation and to say, just to prove how awesome I am, I'm going to use you. Pippin, come on up. No, I'm just, <laughs> just <laughs> Right? Like, I mean, isn't that the story of Scripture? Like, God is not, he's not, like, going, okay, I'm looking. In fact, it seems like sometimes he bypasses the people. We go, that would be a great candidate. Like, he's holy. Have you seen all the laws that he has followed? Like, like God isn't looking for self-righteousness. God isn't looking for religious pride. In fact, he will bypass a community of people, a church of people, a religious group of people that say, God, we want you to show up so we can talk about ourselves. Our motivations have to be right. It can't be about us. It can't be about us at all. It's got to be solely the glory of God. Oh, God, would you break through in these kids' lives and me have nothing to do with it. For your glory, O oh God, your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. Yes, Lord, walk in your ways. We wait for you, right? Like, it's got to be God. This, is, this has got to be for you. Uh, almost 500 years ago, Martin Luther, who was not a perfect guy, and there's a lot of things that I don't agree with that he had to say, but Martin Luther said this. He, he started a reformation, right? He put it this way, and this quote haunts me. I think Joel Petrie is the one who turned me on to this quote. 
Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. Is that up there? Just, just instead, I don't want to get past that for a moment. Just think about that. Prayer is, I've, so much of my life, my prayers have been like I'm trying to overcome God's reluctance. I don't, I don't need to overcome his reluctance. He's not reluctant. God is immutable. Immutable. It means you, he doesn't change. He can't improve because he's already the best. And he's not getting any worse. And he doesn't run out of energy. And he doesn't age. He's inside of time and he's outside of time, right? So when we sing like a song like Be Lifted Up, it's not God going, oh, good, because I was feeling pretty down. Okay. Right? When we're singing Be Lifted Up, you know what? We're, we're, not, we're not proclaiming that to God. We're proclaiming that to our perception of God. God, help me to see you more clearly. Help me to see you as you actually are. God, you're already the greatest. You're already the most powerful. God, help me to actually see you the way that you are. Help me to fear you, like respect, awe, reverence, right? Not afraid of him. So, so prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance as if he's in a bad mood today. Oh, watch out for God. Had a bad Saturday. Was up a little too late. He was up in the middle of the night. I don't know. No, it is what? Laying hold of his willingness. I am willing, Jesus says. How do we lay hold of that? How do we grasp that? If, if it is, God, I mean, this is just what I sense God was saying to me. If, if that was really God saying to me, I am willing, are you willing? If that's really what he's saying, like what does that mean to lay a hold of his willingness? What does that mean for me to be willing, for me to be ready? I think there's a part of this that requires us paying a price. As I look in scripture, that God, he didn't use perfect people we already established that he often used knuckleheads, but he used imperfect people who were willing to pay a price. What kind of price? Often it was reputation. Often it was, we talked about prayer is speaking to God, listening to God, acting upon what God has said, right? So you just start in the beginning of the book of Genesis and look at the people that God uses, and you see like, like can you imagine build an ark, in a desert. By the way, it's going to take you about 100 years. Here's a hammer. Right? Here's a guy who actually did it. And somehow talked his sons into doing it with him. Right? He might not have been the smartest person that God could have chosen. They're probably better engineers. But here's a guy who listened and who acted, I would say that he probably paid the price. Physically, building something like that for 100 years, he paid a price, but emotionally, relationally, can you imagine the price that he paid? Can you imagine the jokes, the stand-up comics that would do a whole routine just about Noah and his boys? You see Noah and his boys? Have you been around their house lately? He, there, there's a price that we pay. Like when Jesus says, I am willing, are you willing? I think part of that is, are you willing to pay a price? Now, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about heaven or hell. What Chuck read earlier from Romans establishes that, 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 that our salvation has been secured not with winning you know, a lottery and having billions of dollars or silver or gold, Peter says. Our, our salvation has been secured through the blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he became, 
he became our substitute. He, he took our punishment. Our salvation has been paid for. Okay, so I'm not, when I'm talking about paying the price, Jesus paid the price, okay? When I'm talking about paying the price, it's, it's the price of if I want to see God move in this generation, We've been talking about praying for revival and praying for people to be born again and praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and praying for our students and our kids and we're praying for these things. If we want to see, there's a price that we are going to have to pay. We may have people leave our church because we're a little fruity and a little nutty and there's a little too much weirdness and before we see people come into our church. Are we willing Jesus is, I am willing, are you willing? It might mean doing things that we've never done before in ways that we've never done them before. But see, when I really get the greatness of God's grace, we talk about that grace is free, but when I, right, it's free, but when I really get the greatness of God's grace, when it really becomes real to me, I can never go back to shallow living again. I can't go back to normal. In fact, I would put it this way, I'm ruined for normal. When I really get the grace of God, I'm, I'm ruined for normal. Everything else is fake. Everything else is counterfeit. All the ways that the world says that you're gonna have the time of your life and all the ways that the world says that, that you're gonna you know, be satisfied and fulfilled, it doesn't work. When I taste the actual authentic greatness and grace of God, I'm ruined for the ordinary. C.S. Lewis put it this way. I think this is in your notes. He said, he, I love this quote. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Just meditate on that for a minute. That when God looks at us, our issue is, oh, my desires are too strong. And God is going, no, actually, your desires are too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. If you didn't get that quote, just chew on that for a little while. God is saying, your appetites are too weak. I, w- I want you to have an appetite for so much, something so much greater. That's why when we, when we find ourselves addicted by things, the, the way to get past an addiction is not to focus on the addiction. I mean, yes, there's, okay, uh, I've got to be careful now I say that. Like, like, I think sometimes the addiction becomes all-encompassing. And Jesus is saying, fix your eyes on me. Pursue me, prioritize my presence, make your appetite for me so much greater than the appetite that you have for this thing. So, so what does this mean about, um, how do we, okay, let, let's go to Acts chapter 12. I got a few more minutes, let's do Acts chapter 12. By the way, as you're turning to Acts chapter 12, we did a challenge. I don't, did you ever tell them the results of this challenge? Did they know anything about this? So, so last time I was here, we were finishing up a challenge of reading through the book of Acts, right? And I put this out to you guys. said, hey, I want everyone in the church to read through the book of Acts. And remember what we said is if you fill out, we had a yellow card that if you filled it out and you put it in the bucket, that we were going to give $20 to the Liberty Center for every person who read through the book of Acts and filled out the card saying that they had uh, read through the book of Acts. And... Uh, I got it somewhere in my notes. 68 of you filled out that card. 
You know what's really cool is some of you didn't even fill out the card, but you did it too. You just didn't fill, or you forgot to fill out the card or whatever. So at least 68 of you went, like I did, and I didn't fill out a card because I was gone. Um, so we wrote a check to the Liberty Center. This is above and beyond our normal support of the Liberty Center for $1,360. So thank you for reading through the book of Acts, right? That's pretty cool. So Acts chapter 12, uh, you guys all there now? I was trying to give you a few minutes to, to finally, Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 is an interesting moment for the early church. If, you, if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, the book of Acts is the first 30, 35 years of the church after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. In fact, Acts chapter 1, the first like nine verses are, still include Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, he ascends. And then we have 30, 35 years of the early church. And there's good moments, like really incredible moments, awesome moments. And then there are moments that, that make us go, oh, that sounds kind of like today. So Acts chapter 12, verse 1, it starts with Herod is on the rise. His political power is on the rise. And so he, he's understood that there is a huge portion of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas that cannot handle this new sect, this new cult called people, followers of the way. We would later become known as Christians. And so he, he recognizes that this group is unpopular, especially with the religious conservatives. And so he starts going out of his way to oppress and to persecute these, these followers of the way, these Christians. And so in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, he has James killed. James, this isn't James, the half-brother of Jesus. This is James, who is one of Jesus' three closest friends. If you, if you grew up in Sunday school, remember the song, Peter, James, and John, and the sailboat, Peter, James, and... I'm the only one who sang that song. Okay, so uh, this is one of, the, one of the beads, is I knew that, one, that Jesus' three closest friends were, and I only knew it because of that Sunday school song, Peter, James, and John. See, you just look, you could get a bead if you were a JBQ. So, so one of Jesus' three closest friends is James, and in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, James is killed by Herod. And Herod is now swaggering because the people are so excited about this. They, yeah, kill more of them, kill more of them. And so, like, so he has Peter arrested. And if you read, he's going to have Peter, um, he's going to have him put on trial, which meant nothing back then. And, and so he will be executed next, right? And so, so he puts Peter in jail. And to show how serious he is, he puts four quadrants of four soldiers around him. So there's 16 soldiers that are guarding Peter, right? And I just want to, I just want, let's just read one verse. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Because I think this speaks to the Jesus is willing, are we willing? Verse 5, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And I was thinking about this. Again, the idea of putting yourself in a passage. If James has just been killed, and this is a point where there's only several thousand people who call themselves Christians in the world, right? And James, who is one of the leaders of the church, he is killed. And now Peter is in prison. If you are a Christian 2,000 years ago and you've just gotten this news and you live in Jerusalem, what are you thinking? I mean, think, what, what are you feeling? What emotions are you experiencing? What are you doing? Okay, what, what, what actions would you be taking? I don't know about you, I'd be hiding. I'd, I'd be moving. <laughs> Jerusalem is not, I don't, it's not a safe space. <laughs> okay, this isn't a very safe space. I'm feeling targeted right now, right? What does a church do? We just read this. While Peter was in prison, the church 
prayed very earnestly for him. So I was looking at this word earnestly. This is an interesting word. If you have a different translation, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you have NIV or King James Version or New American Standard or the Message, you'll find there's a whole lot of different words used for this because this is a really cool word, this word earnestly. Some of your Bibles, the King James Version says that they were in constant prayer. The Message says that they were strenuously praying. The Amplified says there was fervent and persistent prayer. The Passion Translation says they were in a season of intense intercession. The, the Greek word, not to nerd you out, this is the only Greek word I'll use, is ektenos. Ektenos, and the word, this is so crazy, the word was used to describe a horse made to go at a full gallop. I mean, this, this wasn't a spiritual word. When it says that they were praying, like in the Greek, the idea would be they are praying like a horse in a full gallop. There's another word picture for the word ektenos, and it is an Olympian athlete flexing their muscles. So it's the idea of a muscle at its, at, at its extent, like it is extended as far as it can possibly go. Like this is the way that the, the writer of Acts, Luke, this is the way that he describes the prayers of this church. We could get into an, the imperfect tense, which means that it wasn't a one-off prayer. It wasn't like they prayed for a couple minutes and then they're like, hey, did anybody bring any food? Peter who? <laughs> Pass me the dip. Like the, the, imp- the, the, the imperfect tense means that they're, they're praying like all night long. Like they're praying and they kept on praying. Verse 12, if you, if you uh, skip to verse 12, it says that late at night followers of Jesus were at uh, Mary's home where many were gathered for prayer. So I want to go back to this idea. God is willing. Willing for what? He's willing for salvations, he's willing for healings, he's willing for breakthrough, he's willing for releasing those who have gone through abuse, he's willing for breaking addictions, he's he's willing for all the stuff that is going on in our families, going on in our community, we're going, God, please, God is willing. Are we willing? Are we willing to pay the price? Are we willing to have our reputation, you know, I don't know about that guy, he goes to Journey Church. That church is a little, I don't know. Like, are, are we willing to pay a price? Are we willing to pray? There's some things that just are only going to happen when God's people pray. I think there's so many, I think we're going to get to heaven and we're going to find out that there's so many miracles that God, and God's just saying, I, I was just waiting for you to seek me. I was waiting for you to humble yourself and to pray and to seek my face and to turn from your wicked ways. You never did. I gave you the recipe. I told you what to do. I'm willing. Are you willing? And so I, 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 let me just skip to the, like, here, so how do we do this? Let's be a church that prays. If you're, if you're in a group of other believers, whether it's an official Journey Church life group, or maybe you got some friends, maybe it's friends from even other churches or, or whatever, man, make sure that when you are together that you prioritize prayer. Have fun together. Eat together. If you study God's word together, do that. But make sure that you pray for one another. When somebody says, hey, I've got this thing going on, don't hesitate to say, hey, can I pray for you? And then do it. I was talking to a a lady this week, and she was sharing some things. And and at the end of the conversation, I said, hey, can I pray for you? And she goes, like, right now? (laughs) She goes, "I've, I've I've never had someone actually want to pray. Like, they'll say I'm praying for you, but I've never had someone actually. I'm like, well, that's sad. <laughs> yeah, let's pray right now. You don't have to be a pastor to do this. You will blow people's minds. Wait, hey, can I pray for you like right now? 
You may have, I've had one per, I think in my whole time of being a pastor, I remember one person who said no. Most, even if they don't even believe in God, will be like, well, that makes you feel better. Go, go for it. Like, I don't believe in God, but if you want to pray for me, prioritize prayer. Pray for each other. Pray out loud when you're together. When you're with other believers and you're in a small group or, or you, you, maybe it's even just your like, practice praying out loud. Praying out loud together so that prayer becomes familiar. And when you're praying together, don't pray limp-wristed pansy prayers. Pray, fight. Pray earnestly. Pray like you're a horse in full gallop. Pray faith-filled specific prayers. If you're available on Wednesdays at 11 a.m., man, come to the church. We've got a great group of people that are praying. And we're not just praying for ourselves. Oh, I got a hangnail. Would you gather around me and pray for me? Like we're praying like horses and gals, praying for our community, praying for our schools, praying for our students. Now, a lot of you work. Set an alarm on your phone whatever time you have a break on Wednesdays. You know, if it's at 11, that's great. Maybe you don't get a break. Maybe you work nights and your break is in the middle of the night. Like, set on Wednesdays, let's prioritize as a church that whether we're in this room or we're not, that we're going to take a few minutes, go to the bathroom. People will think that you know, everyone else is going on a cigarette break. Go out to your car, whatever you got to do. And, and just, God, I'm fighting. You are willing. Make me willing. Make me willing. Show me what needs to change in my life. God, I know that you're willing. Come, come to church services with a heart of prayer. I see, have you noticed over the last few months God is doing something in this place? I'm believing we're, we're, we're just, I believe there's going to be a tipping point. But the, the, the issue is going to be the prayers of God's people. So come to church with an expectation. Go to bed. You know, if, if, if you go to bed at 1 o'clock on Saturday nights, you're going to come to church. You're not going to hear anything I say. You're, you're not. Go to bed early on Saturday nights. Get up a little bit early. Pray. You know what? You have full permission. When you get, if you get here 10 minutes early and you just want to come up to the front and just pray a little bit before the service starts or come to a seat up. I say to the front because that way people will know not to bug you for a minute. Like you're welcome to even come and pray. Pray that. What are we praying for? I, I've got these, I think, in your notes. We're praying for a spiritual awakening across Ohio and our nation. Listen. I don't care who you think the political savior is. They're not. Okay? Only God can save our nation. And the church needs to rise up and do what, what the word of God says in 2 Chronicles 7.14. And that's a whole other... We need, what, what, am I, what am I praying? I'm saying, God, I know you're willing. Make me willing so that we could see a spiritual awakening across Ohio, across our nation. I would say across the world, but it's already going on across the world. Christians around the world are sending missionaries to the United States of America now. What are we? We're praying for salvations. I'm praying, God, I want to see people born again. If you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you can be a follower of Jesus today. You've you got you to humble yourself and surrender your life to Jesus. And then you need to actively actually follow him. We'll talk about that. I'm praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that, to you, you might be like, what, what's that about? I'm just saying, God, what you did in the Bible, would you do that here? I want it to be authentically, genuinely from you. We don't want to make things happen and just be weird to be weird. But God, if it's biblical, we want anything you have for us. Pour out your spirit. I want it. 
Sons and daughters will prophesy, is what Joel 2 says in Acts chapter 2. I don't even know what that looks like, but I'm all for it. It's better than what some of our sons and daughters are doing, right? Healing, signs and wonders accompanying not just the preaching of God's word on a Sunday morning, but when you go to work and you speak any part of God's word, that there would be signs and wonders that would accompany that. Wouldn't that be awesome? You're working the line at Whirlpool, and you just told a buddy, what do you do this weekend? I was at church. What did, what did you hear about? I heard that God is willing and that I need to be willing. And then they tell you about something, you pray over them in the break room, and, and they're healed. Because signs and wonders accompany whenever we communicate God's word to people. Commitment to real community. Listen, I know COVID is alive and well, and it's even a lot of you in this church have experienced it. But what COVID has done is, is caused community to... We, we're, I'm asking God for a real sense of community again. We've become strangers. And that there would be a sense of closeness and intimacy and fellowship with one another, not in a weird way, but in a biblical way. Schools, students, teachers, and administrators. I had the privilege, I'll just tell you guys this, I had the privilege this week of meeting with uh, Clyde Greenspring's new school superintendent. And, and I'm excited. He, he said, you guys have a green light. Whatever, whatever you want to do in this community. Well, I shouldn't say that. We're not recording this. So... Uh, and he's just like, we need you in our schools. He goes, we'll, we'll do whatever. He's coming to our back-to-school blessing. I think Mr. Detweiler's already committed from Fremont City Schools to be here for our back-to-school blessing. And, and uh, so, so we need to pray. And I told him, I said, our church is praying for you. His name, by the way, is Mr. Messer. Just brand new, just came in, I think July 1st was his first day. Let's pray for Mr. Messer. Let's pray for Mr. Detweiler. Let's pray for our schools. Let's pray for our teachers. Let's pray for our administrators. Instead of complaining and criticizing them, let's lift them up in prayer. Let's pray for born-again teachers and born-again guidance counselors. We need born-again, spirit-filled guidance counselors. Because I'm telling you what, that's where some of the battles are being fought in our schools right now. Oh, way over. Who cares? God is willing. Are you willing? Again, I'm not saying that with a finger. Are you willing? This is what he's saying to me, and so I'm communicating it to you too. God is willing. I think we're going to see things in the next couple of years. I, I really believe as it gets darker in society, the light is going to shine brighter. I think God's going to pour out his spirit. I believe for another one more outpouring of his spirit before Jesus comes back. I'm, I'm, I'm just believing for that. I'm believing that we're going to see things and we're going to go, whoa. God, and God is saying, I'm willing. Are you willing? Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to pray? Like really pray. Like Fight. This is, this is, when I'm talking about prayer, I'm talk, let's fight. Let's pray together. Pray on your own. Have your private prayer closet. You should. Let's find ways to pray together. In Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter, I didn't even get into Acts chapter 4. They prayed together. Would you, actually, would you stand to your feet? I haven't preached in four weeks, so that's why we went a little longer. Hopefully our kids' workers will forgive me. Would you bow your heads? If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. I want you to know Jesus loves you. Maybe we were talking about that leper and you just, you know, like you just go, I just don't know that God could love me. I don't know that, that Jesus can touch me. I want you to know it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. You cry out to Jesus. And his answer will be, I am willing. He loves you. 
but you got to take a step toward him. Jesus already died on the cross for you. You've, you've got you've to receive what he's done for you. And this isn't just about praying a prayer and you walk out and you live, your life is normal. It's, it's receiving his grace and being so transformed by his grace that the average and the ordinary is ruined in light of his grace. So if you're not a follower of Jesus and you say, Ken, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I need him to be the master and leader of my life. I want to live for him, not for myself. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But if that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? Anybody at all? Yeah. You can lower your hand after you've raised it. Anybody else? Say that's me. That's what we're here for, church, right? Thank you, Jesus. Father, you see that hand. You, you, you see this, this guy, I know he loves you and he's trying to follow you. God, you see his heart to just be restored to you. So God, I thank you that your forgiveness is there for him, that your mercies are faithfulness are fresh and new every morning. God, I thank you for my friend. God, would you, as he just surrenders his life to you again. God, for, the, for him and for the rest of us, I pray that we'd be willing to pay the price. God, I thank you that you are willing. So God, may we live lives that give you glory. Doesn't mean, it doesn't mean we're gonna have a trouble-free life. It doesn't mean that everything's gonna go the way that we want them to. But God, in, in whatever we're walking through, we would say, God, I want you to get the glory. You get the glory in all things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.